morning. Family, stand with us to your feet. Put your hands together with us. Let's pray, God. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us this morning. We testify of your goodness. Let's do that. Oh, I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my doom till I met.
Jesus, we thank you, God, that you've set us free. Oh, Jesus, we worship you in this place. Oh, I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. My chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open when you call my name. Thank you for your life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence and your power, your faithfulness, your love. We invite you here today. We open our hearts to you. God, we come expecting you to do something in us. Turning lives around Yes, you are 
God for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, for your power in our lives. Lord, we need your touch today. We need the power of your presence in us, God. We open our hearts to you. I just invite you to do that this morning. Open your heart the presence and the power of God. He is here. And he's healing broken hearts. And he's mending broken things. And he's moving in our midst. 
and we need him, don't we? God, we need you. We cry out for more of you today. We need you. Oh, we need you. How we need you, Lord.
Your presence is in this place. Your goodness is in this place. Your power's in this place. Your healing's in this place. Oh, your love and your grace. You need a touch from God today. To some of you need a miracle today. God is faithful. And he fights for you and for me. Jesus, we put our faith in you today. We trust you. declare in our hearts that you are good and faithful and you are unchanging and you are always seeking the best for us stop working even when I don't see it you're working even when I don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop oh, oh, oh. even when I don't see it you're Your work. 
Amen. Aren't you glad that God never changes? He never changes. He's so faithful. Amen. Well, we want to welcome you to the Cornerstone this morning as we worship together. I want to invite you just to take a minute and maybe say hi to a few folks around you this morning, okay? watching online today, say hi in the comments. We love to chat with you. If you're joining us on YouTube, hit subscribe too so you don't miss a thing. And whether you're on campus or online, there are several ways to give. You can visit us at ccanaheim.com donate, use the boxes at the back of the auditorium, or text CC Anaheim to 77977. Make sure to visit our website for more details on upcoming events and ministries. If you visit our bulletin page, you'll see some upcoming details for events in September. Save the date for First Fridays on September 3rd at 6.30 p.m. Men's Breakfast on Saturday, September 11th at 8 a.m. And our Women's Gather event on Monday, September 13th at 6.30 p.m or Tuesday, September 14th at 9.30 a.m. Well, good morning, family. Today, I believe God has something for you. I, I believe God has something for you. But before we get into our text and our study this morning, um, many of you probably have the same burden that I do of what's been going on in Afghanistan. And uh, I think we need to pray. I'm going to do something this morning. The only other time in the 40, almost 47 years I've been a Christian, I've ever done it was the first service. So I've never done this before. And that is, I'm going to read a prayer. And um, I never read somebody else's prayer and pray somebody else's prayer. I've never done that. Um, but as I um, was thinking about leading us in prayer, I kept going back to this one prayer that I read. And so I, I was thinking, yeah, I need to make sure, you know, I, I want that to be part of the prayer. So I had posted earlier in the week uh, the fact that I thought this was a biblical prayer. A wonderfully wonderful biblical prayer, and it's by Anne Graham Lotz. Anne Graham is the daughter of Billy Graham, and she prayed this prayer. And I, I, I don't want to just read it. I want us to be praying it. If you could kind of also take it to heart as I'm reading it, that you would, in fact, be praying it as well. For I think it says what we need to be praying. She said. I cannot shake the very heavy burden I feel to pray for Afghanistan. The following is a summary of how I am praying as I pour out my heart before God. Please join me if you feel led. Creator of the universe, of all the earth, ruler of the Lord of the nations, you are, not the are you not the judge of all the earth? If my heart is broken, shattered over what's taking place in Afghanistan, what must your great heart feel? 
So I come to you and plead your mercy for your people who are now hiding in the basements and caves, any hole they can find, knowing that demonic forces will not stop until your, your people are found and slaughtered. I pray for your people, followers of Jesus, to be supernaturally protected, delivered. Send your angel armies to surround your people as you did for Elijah in 2 Kings 6. Blind the enemy so they cannot locate your people in hiding. Didn't you teach us yourself that when we pray, we are to pray that we would be delivered from evil? Matthew 6. So deliver your people by any means, please. But if you do not, and if you allow your people to be slaughtered, then I pray that you would give dying grace to each and every one of them. Men and women, children, fill them with your supernatural peace. Give them a vision of heaven. Open for them as you did for Stephen in Acts 7. Open their eyes to see you, Lord Jesus, standing at the right hand of the Father, waiting to welcome them home and give them a martyr's crown. And then I pray, yes, I do, for the fullness of your wrath to fall on the evil perpetrators, whether they are at Kabul or Tehran or Washington, D.C. Holy Ghost, avenge your people. I know you hear this prayer now. I pray to, I, I, I wait to see how you will answer. Even so, Lord Jesus, surely it's time for you to be glorified in all the earth for the sake of your great name, amen. We have already seen martyrs in Afghanistan. People, Christians have been killed for their faith. There are Afghanistanis that, are, um, that have come to Christ since we, you know, there, there have been Christian soldiers and um, missionaries in Afghanistan who have shared their faith, and during this time, there have been quite a few that have come to Jesus. And, uh, and we've, we've heard stories, stories where parents are, have said, I'm not afraid to die, I have Christ, but I want my child to live. And some of them have thrown their children over the fence into the, into the airport, um, hopefully hoping that they would be rescued. And, uh, and folks, this was so unnecessary. I am so angry. I mean, what, what kind of mora- moronic idea was it to take all the soldiers out with no one knowing all at once and leave all the you know, Americans and, and Afghanistan, Afghanistans who have you know, supported us, just leave them there to fend for themselves? I mean, it, it's so frustrating that our, our leaders would be so ridiculous. I just want to, I'm going to stop there unless I say something that I will regret later. But you got it, don't you? I want to turn my anger into something good, though. I don't want it to just be angry. I, I believe that there is a righteous indignation, and I believe in that. And, uh, and that we need to pray with righteous um, tenacity um, in, in, as regards to all these people that are having to deal with such a horrible future. And, uh, and whatever we can do here, on, you know, where we are in making 
a difference and not be ignorant and not be passive when we see things like this injustice happening. So, well, I do want to get into the message, okay? And I think it relates pretty much. I think you're going to see how it connects in our life, in our everyday life. And then Joshua 11 is where we are. And what we have seen, for those of you who are joining us uh, and you haven't been with us this, this, uh, this series, we've been taking a look through the book of Joshua, which is a model for us for spiritual warfare. Um, they, they're going in and taking a land that God had promised to them, and that's the point. God said, this is yours, and then he says, now take it. It's yours, but now take it. And so there were some things that they had to do in warfare to take what God had promised to them. And we can learn the principles, and we have been learning the principles, of spiritual warfare, and there's so much still more to learn, but we're learning principles that will help us in our life. We face spiritual battles. We face them in a lot of different ways. And, uh, and if we recognize who the enemy is, we recognize what is, in fact, the enemy's plan and strategy, we'll be able to rise with victory in our life. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be victorious in our life. And so a couple of things we've learned, just a couple. Um, there's a whole bunch, but two main things we learned. We learned in AI that was a battle of AI where they were defeated. They were defeated because they were arrogant. They thought they could do it on their own. They thought they had everything they needed. And they, were, they made a decision to go to war with less than all the military that they needed and without conferring with God. That was the main point. And they lost. And they learned that you are to confer with the Lord before going to battle. That's one thing you should learn is you confer with God, you talk with God, you get direction from God, you ask God. Second of all, they, um, they were deceived by the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were part of the group that they were supposed to go in and to battle against, and the Gibeonites tricked them, came in, dressed up like they were from a far country, and made a covenant with them, a covenant of peace, and then later they found out they weren't way far away. They were the, the, next, the next city that they were going to be, uh, you know, battling against. And so God held them to it. They made a covenant. They, should, they had to hold it. And what we learned from that is to confer with the Lord before negotiating your future. I, I think sometimes we make choices about our future, oftentimes, and God's not even part of it. People, people will... Make decisions, for instance, to, uh, for a career or for, um, you know, a, a life choice that will, you know, affect them for life. People make choices like to get married and not even confer with God. Well, just a, this is a great guy or this is a great gal. I think, you know, and I'm in love. And uh, should you at least talk to God with, about it? I think you want to confer with God about things. And, uh, and that's the lesson. They didn't confer, and they were stuck in a covenant that they had to live out the rest of their lives and for generations. So there are these principles that God teaches us about conferring with God. So I want to go into the chapter, but here's what I want to do. Spoiler alert. I'm going to read the end of the chapter before I get to the front, 
get the start. Because I just want to calm your heart because after you're reading it, you'll find that they're in battles and I just want you to know they win in advance, all right? But it's more than that. Verse 23, so Joshua took the whole land according to all the Lord had said to Moses and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. The land rested from war. We're going to come back to that because I want to talk about that rest at the end. But let's go to the beginning. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazar, heard these things that he sent Jobab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Ashraf, and to the kings who were from the north in the mountains and the plains south of Shinaroth in the lowland and in the heights of Dor on the west. And, your, and the Canaanites in the east and in the west and the Amorites and the Hittites and Perizzites and the Jebusites and the mountains of Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And you might be asking, why are you reading all these names? Because they're in the Bible. And, and that's, and it's really true, it, it, because it is in the Bible. You know, the Bible is, every word in the Bible is God-inspired. Even these names, God-inspired. Not every verse in the Bible is equally inspiring, right? Some things aren't, they're not very inspiring. You can read numbers, and I have to tell you, I don't get many spiritual breakthroughs when I'm reading the book of Numbers. But, you know, God, there are some good stuff there. Don't get me wrong. But point is simply this, that everything in there really is significant. And when you do study, and what we will do, we'll take a, a couple of just things because we don't have time to go into all the detail. But names mean something. Places mean something. There's connections with places and things that happen in one place and happen to another. We'll show you uh, one of those examples here. But the point is that it just is right to read it, even though you might not right now get everything out of it. Sometimes things will click. And, uh, but God put it there for a reason. Maybe he just wants you, while you're reading it, to, well, if your mind can go to prayer, because you can read these things and talk to God just, just fine. Verse 4 says, So they went out, and they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude. Now, now we might recall this is what Jesus said, I mean, what God said to Abraham about the, the children of Israel at some point, to be like the sands of the sea. What it means is you can't number them. That's the point. That if you tried to number this army, it's too big for you to number. It'd take you too long to try to count every person that is in this army. This is a huge army. And not only is it a huge army, it says, with very many horses and chariots. Those are the military, those are, in those days, the modern military equipment that could not be, um, you know, surpassed. It was the most efficient, most, you know, most powerful. If armies had horses and chariots, they, and they had enough of them. They were undefeatable. They were, th th and that's the point being made here. These are the F-35s. I mean, these are, these are just great 
military tools that an army would have. And it would cause people who didn't have them to, to really start to be concerned because there's no way they would, def they would be able to stop them. Um, they, they, they were able to really press through and break through the, the ranks of the soldiers that did, only had a sword. And even though in the movies sometimes a guy with the sword wins against a guy with the chariot, but most of the times they lose. So, and when all these kings had met together, they came together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. Then I want you to notice this. The Lord said to Joshua, I'm glad Joshua's listening. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. I love that. I love that because it's the fourth time he tells Joshua, don't be afraid. And it tells me that Joshua's kind of a normal guy, you know? And Joshua is subject to fear just like any of us are. That things come and we see things and they, 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 we look at it and what he's looking at is sometimes what we look at and that is this is insurmountable. This coming against me is bigger and can take me and there's no way I can defeat what's coming against me. And Joshua understood that and he knew what was before him and he got afraid. And you would think, this is what I like to think about Joshua, that he was such a man of faith that he had never fear. He had never have to have God tell him, don't be afraid. Because he's just such a man of faith. And let's, you think about what, he, what just happened. He, they just went to battle against, um, you know, five, five nations. And God did the greatest miracle Probably in the Bible, I mean, as big as any, he, 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 he actually stopped the laws of physics to lengthen the day, and then he sent hail down that killed the entire, you know, the rest of the army of their enemies. He did this incredible miracle. And Joshua has seen all these kinds of things. He, was, he saw Jericho, and all they did was walk around the, the walls, and the walls tumbled down. And he saw them, God, open up, you know, the Jordan River and walk across on dry ground. He's seen all these miracles, and yet, after seeing all these miracles, you think God would say, when, when, he, when Joshua looks and has this fear in him, that God would say, what, what are you fear, afraid of? You've already seen me do these other things. What's with you, Joshua? That's, that's the way I would approach it if one of my kids were questioning my abilities or my willingness to take care of them when I've taken care of them, you know, over and over again. But not God. He's kind of a little bit better than I am. And he says to Joshua, Joshua, you don't need to be afraid. I, I know you've never been here, but I'm... I'm here, and you don't need to be afraid. He, he not only says, do not fear to Joshua, but then he gives him the, he gives him the words of faith to hold on to. He says, don't be afraid of the, uh, because of them, for tomorrow, about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. And you, you know, those, you know those weapons you're afraid of? You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. 
You know all those weapons that you're afraid of? You're going to destroy them. And now when he says you're going to hamstring their horses, that means what they would do is they would sever the tendon on the horse and it would allow the horse the capacity to work. It could pull the plow and so forth, but it couldn't go to battle because it couldn't run into battle. And so God tells them, it's a very strange thing he tells Joshua. I want you to hamstring the horses when you defeat the enemy, and I want you to burn the chariots. And I can almost see Joshua say, wait, wait, those chariots could really work for us. You know, we could take advantage of having those chariots and those horses. That, if we defeat, that, that would be, go a long way in the future. And God actually, these are the things that the enemy used to terrorize their enemies. And so, God has them eliminate them as a weapon that they could use themselves. Does that remind you of anything? Reminds me of this. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. We use a different kind of weapon. And the reason, it, it would, would not those chariots be helpful? Absolutely, you would think in the natural. Those horses, absolutely. And God is saying, no, you're not going to use those things. Because if you use those same weapons, what you will end up doing is you will end up trusting in them instead of me. And that's the point. It's a point for our lives. The problem, the, the thing that God often will do is put us in a situation that all of our, you know, all of our tools, all of our th- the things we would hold on to for our security and our future, God sometimes will strip those away so that the only thing we have left is him. And he's doing it so that you will get victory because you will lose. Eventually, if all you hold on to are the carnal weapons to battle with, you'll lose. But if you hold on to the weapons that God gives us, you'll have victory. So he does it for our benefit because we will, we will spend much of our time just trying to collect chariots and horses. And God wants us to trust in him. He gets the victory. He gets the glory because he does it for us. And it reminds us of what the psalmist David said in Psalms 20 and verse 7. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. That's how we live our life as followers of Jesus, that we put our trust in him. Verse 7 says, so Joshua and all the people of war with him came, came against them suddenly by the waters of Merim, and they attacked them. Now, the armies are kind of getting ready to attack the Israelites, and what do the Israelites do? They attack first. And, and Joshua learned this in the last battle. They, they marched all night so they could surprise them and attack them before they attacked them. And what we learn from that is, That our walk with God and our spiritual battle with God is an offensive weapon, not a defensive one. We spend, and this is what the church does wrong. I'm just saying this as a whole. The body of Christ does this wrong. 
The body of Christ spends too much time waiting for something to happen, and then we call out for God, and we call out for the, the, the saints to battle with us. You know, somebody's, in, and, and listen, I'm not against that. I'm not saying that that's wrong. In fact, it's right to do. You know, and, you know, right now people are calling out. I was, you know, even between services, I got a prayer request um, for someone that's going through a difficult time. And, and they asked the, the, the church, the body of Christ, the army of God to rise up and to pray. And we should do that. And there's wonderful things that happen sometimes when we are gathered and we do that. But that's, that's not the mainstay of our battle and our work. What God calls us to is to be on offense, to, to be the ones, in fact, that are going against what the enemy is trying or strategizing to do before he gets there. And, and you do that, and let me, let me explain this in, in, in a couple of stories, but you do that by being people who are hearing, see, Joshua is listening, God is telling them there's this battle you're going to win. You go, go after it. You fight. This, the battle is coming. I want you to go and get there first. And when, when we're sensitive to, the, to God, and when the church will realize that God, in, as the, the, um, the captain of the Lord's host that we saw in Joshua, that he will give us direction, he'll give us insight if we will be sensitive to that possibility in our life. And what the church doesn't do is we have, God is trying to sometimes speak to us and give us direction and tell us things before they happen and we're not listening. And when they come, we, we've sometimes just learned to pass those off in our brain and not even consider that God might be saying something to us. And I, we've, you know, I've lived Fortunately, early on in my Christian walk, not perfectly by any means, but I become a sensitive to the fact that God will, t- will try to give us insight and tell us things that are happening. And, and, and then you can go to war spiritually when you see them coming. I miss them. I'm not, you know, I'm not putting myself up on this. I miss them. But I'm telling you, this is a principle that God has for all of us. And my wife and I, at times, we'll have these times when God just gives us an impression, and we go to prayer. We go to spiritual battle. And we've had some big things happen, and some just normal, everyday stuff that comes. And sometimes you see the results, and sometimes you don't. A couple, a couple quite a few years ago, actually, um, I remember Carol and I both woke up with a dream. Mine had to do with someone who was going to abort their child. And I felt like God was impressing on me to pray that they would stop, to break through. For whatever reason, God put it on my heart. And what did I do? I went to spiritual battle with my wife. I told her. And Carol, though, had this. And and I never got to see the end result of that. You know, you don't know what happened. But Carol had a, um, a, a word. She had a dream. And, um, and it was an airplane crash, and the word, just, you know, you, you ever hear those, like, in your dream sometimes, uh, a word, a spoken, something loud, and it was Air Mexico. And uh, so she, um, she shared that, and we prayed. We prayed that, a couple of things, we prayed that, um, you know, 
God would, would, if there was a crash coming, if there's a way of stopping it, to stop it. We prayed for the protection of all Christians, followers of Jesus that might be, and it was just an impression. We said, Lord, we ask that you would protect, um, you know, any, any believers, any Christians. Um, not that you don't care about anybody else, but, you know, you pray first that God would stop, you know, would, there wouldn't be a crash. But then you pray, if, if this is inevitable, if something's going on that we don't have control over, we pray that you would at least protect the Christians. What we found out later on that day, actually it was a Sunday morning, it was early in the morning we prayed. Um, afterward, we found out that there was an airplane crash in Cerritos. And some of you remember years ago, it landed in the open field. Um, it was Air Mexico that we had prayed for. They, it crashed. And it had barely missed a church that was having church service. It went over the church building and landed in the field. What we also didn't know, well, we knew that Carol's mom was on a mission trip, and she was coming home that day. What we didn't know, that the plane she was supposed to be on was the Air Mexico plane. And something happened, and she ended up being there late and missing the plane. Both of those things happened. That happened. And when you're not thinking offensively, spiritually, you're missing on all these opportunities to make a difference in the world that we live in. God wants us to be in offense. And that's what we're learning from this, these stories. Joshua, they're not waiting for the enemy to come to them. They're going after. They're taking ground, you see. And we take ground for the kingdom of God. We take ground. And God gives us insight and ways in which we can do this. And if we listen have you ever had something where you got this impression? Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was something as you were praying that you got an impression toward. Don't let that go. You've had that? Don't let that go. Don't assume that that's not God. You know, and it's not always to thwart something bad from happening. Sometimes God gives you those impressions so you pray for something good to happen. And you, that there's breakthrough and and, and most of the time, it's faces that I get as I'm praying. It's somebody's face. I see them, and I pray for them. I want to take advantage of that. There's another thing I've learned recently. I'd say recently, probably the last 10 years, is, you know, you ever, like, you're just out, and you see somebody you think you know, and it's not them, but somebody looks like them. I always take advantage of that to pray for the person I think that, that they look like because I think the Lord uses that that person oh that's oh no it's not that. okay I've been reminded I take advantage and pray for that person pray for God's blessing upon them and thwart any kind of work against them and their and so forth we live out prayer when Paul says you know pray without ceasing we think that's a really hard thing to do it's not really it's, it's just walking in the pattern of connectivity with God. It's not even time-consuming. You know, God just brings things into your life at different times, and you share it. You just kind of lift it up to the Lord. And an army that does that, they can't be defeated. 
they cannot be defeated. And when the church learns what it can be and what it can do, we can't be defeated. There's so much. Uh, Joshua 11.8 says, The Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel. He defeated them, chased them to greater Sidor, to the brook of Misrephoth, to the valley of Mipah, eastward, and they, and they attacked them until they left none of them remaining. Now, understand that when we're using these um, you know, geographical locations that we have no idea, it seems like a waste of time running through these names that we have no idea. Remember that the Jews, in reading this throughout the Old Testament and even today, it's, they can go right to the place. It'd be like saying, you know, we had this battle at the corner of La Palma and Imperial on the northeast side. You know, the, you know where the Carl's Jr. is? It, that's what it'd be like for them, them. We think, oh, you know, these names are something that come out of like a, um, some kind of uh, movie, uh, you know, fantasy movie. Or, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, we know that there's a planet out there in Star Wars that is the planet of Merom. Right? No, this is, these are places that are very familiar to the people who live there. And so when you're walking, a child in Israel will be walking by, oh, yeah, that's where David killed Goliath. Oh, that's where, you know, Joshua set up the stones and God, uh, oh, over here, oh, yeah, this is the place that Elijah had this battle against. And all these places are real historic places that they live out and they experience. And uh, so it's probably not a bad idea to get our Bible maps out once in a while and look at some of these places and see where they are found in Israel. And uh, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, um, go, go. You know, we're, we're hoping to go. We had to cancel this year because of COVID, but we're hoping to go next November. But just a uh, and, and, and that is an advertisement. They give me 60 seconds to do that. Um, no, it's just such a great, great experience that you'll never forget. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him, and he hamstrung their horses, burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time, and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword, for Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. Now all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them. Moses as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. Now, it says Joshua did everything that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. And it kind of reminds me, wherever you, you're going in the scripture, it all relates to Jesus. It all relates to you. You can find Jesus in all the stories. And in the book of Joshua, by the way, Joshua, his name is Jesus. If you use the the transliteration, it's Yeshua, and Jesus is Yeshua. It's the same name. Jesus has the same name as Joshua. And because of that, oftentimes we're able to, we, we realize that what Joshua did 
is a type of Jesus in many ways. As he brings them into the promised land, Jesus brings us into the promised land. As he leads us in victory, Jesus leads us in victory. As Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, you know, and led us, as Joshua was led by God and led us, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit also. He did nothing unless he saw the Father doing it. He only did what the Father had told him. And so Jesus is, you see that in all that. You see here in Joshua, Joshua did everything Moses had told him. Jesus said, I've come not to destroy the law and the prophets, but I come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Everything was, everything that Jesus did, he fulfilled the law and the prophets. He did exactly what Moses has said. See, we see this type in this story, and you can always find that. In my notes, you can't see it from where you are, but in my notes, I have a watermark, and it's a cross. It's behind all my notes, because everything always leads to the cross. It always leads to Jesus, and I always want to find Jesus in the story. I want to find what Jesus is doing, what he did. We'll, we'll end it, and when we do, I'm going to show you Jesus in the mainstay of this story, but it says <clears throat> in verse 13, but as for the cities, now they, he, they had burned uh, Hazar. It says, but as for the cities that stood on the mountains of Israel, burn none of them except Hazar, only with which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock of the children of Israel took as booty, um, let's say plunder, old King James, um, little different meaning than it than we have today for themselves but they stuck every man uh, they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them and they left none breathing and as the lord had commanded moses his servant so moses commanded joshua and so joshua did he left nothing undone of all the lord had commanded moses and thus joshua took all the land of the mountain country of the south in all the land of Goshen, and the, the lowlands, and the Jordan plain, and mountains of Israel in the lowlands. And from Mount Halak to the ascent of Seir, even as far as Balgad in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon, he captured all the kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. You kind of get the impression that this is like a couple months or a couple weeks of battle. It actually isn't. What we actually can know from chapter 14 in verse 7 and 10 is um, the story of Caleb and how when Caleb, when Moses, uh, you know, um, told him to go into Car at Kardash Barnea to um, spy out the land and come back, and he sent him into wilderness wandering for 40 years, um, Caleb was 40 years old, and then, and then we know from chapter uh, 14, verse 10, that, that Caleb was now 85 years old. So from the time that they, they wandered in the wilderness, we all say they wandered in the wilderness 40 years. It wasn't actually. They wandered in the wilderness 38 years. It took two years to get there. So total was 40 years. So from the time that Moses told him it was 38 years, and now he's 85 years old, that means this, that 
from the time they went into the Jordan, you know, into the promised land, it took seven years for them to defeat their enemies. It was seven years. That's kind of an interesting number that doesn't show up very much in the Bible, does it? And there's always a mean, there's always a, there's always a bigger picture in the Bible. And so the promised land will come fully to us, if you would, in a seven year. Or the Bible says a thousand, uh, a, a day is as a, a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. So in a 7,000 year period, and we're coming to that, to the beginning of what we would say the, the 7,000th year, that will be the millennium and the final conclusion of that. God has it all planned out in advance. He's got to figure, kind of figure things out. And, um, but the point is that this was, there was, these battles didn't all happen all at once, and victories didn't happen all at once. There was continual victory. When I came to Jesus, I had a lot of baggage, a lot of things in my life that needed to be free, I needed to be freed of. And immediately, I mean, the day I came to the Lord, some things just fell off me. I mean, just delivered, completely delivered from. Some things took a while before I got, got you know, took, was able to take charge of them, areas in my life that needed to be set free and, you know, under bondage and in sin. And then some things, 47 years later, I'm still working on. And that's just the, the way it works. But here's the point. You never quit until you look like Jesus in the mirror. You never quit. You never stop evaluating, not for... Not for guilt's sake, not to cause bondage on you. It's just knowing this. He that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is working in you. Let him work in you. And when he points things out that need to be dealt with, deal with them. And every morning, look in the mirror and say, am I looking more like Jesus? You know? Sometimes I just look and I'm looking older. But, I, but that's not the point. It's actually in my soul, right? Am I looking like Jesus? And that, that's, that's what is actually taught in this and what we learn in Joshua. Look at verse 21. I want to show you something. And at the time, Joshua came to cut off Anakim. I'm just going to have you say it just because I want you to remember and I'm almost done. Say Anakim. Anakim. Some of you played along. Thank you so much. Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. He destroyed them. None of Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained, what? None of them were left in the land, but they remained. They remained only in Gaza and Gath and Ashdod. Gaza Gas and Ashdod. Gas. Does that remind you of anything? There was a guy from Gath. He was an Anakim from Gath. 500 years later. He's kind of a big guy. Kind of like Shaq on steroids. 
name was Goliath. And a young future king faced him off. Had to face him off. Because the children of Israel were still fighting with the Anakinites. They're still battling. Because if you do not destroy your enemy fully, you risk them coming back to your children and your children's children. You understand? I, I know of people that they're, they're just little things. Watch, watch the little things. You know? What, for instance, watch a, if a person does not get rid of and get, def, get victory over their anger, watch it spread. Watch that the next, their children don't have that same issue they deal with and their children's children. A, a person that doesn't get control over their, their drinking, I've seen this firsthand, I've seen this in people's lives. People have come to me and say, you know, my, my son or my daughter, like, they're not an alcoholic now. They've got victory, but they say, my son, my daughter, my granddaughter, my grandson is an alcoholic. They never, they didn't get it out of their life, and so their kids picked it up. I'm not saying this is going to happen every time, but this is how it happens. This is the way it works in our life. We allow things in our life, things that need to be dealt with. Men, pornography. You better deal with that before you get married. You better deal with it right away. It affects your life, but it will affect your children and their children. You cannot let it go. You can't, you can't just determine that somehow, you know, it won't affect everybody else. It will. You, keep, you leave those enemies in the land, they need to be dealt with. And they need to be dealt with like an enemy. And that's the problem. Some of these things, you know, it's just, it's just a little lie. I know of a family. And I'm not telling you about anybody but I know of a family, known pretty well. Um, say godly parents. I mean, really, godly parents. But they just have this thing about lying. They say, well, they're godly. Well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it, it's kind of like this. Tell them I'm not home kind of lying. You know that one? It's, it's, it's lying, but they would say it's a, it's a little white lie. It's not a really big deal. And, and, it's, and they do it often. It's all the time. And they taught their kids. And their kids do it. And now their grandkids are doing it. But you know what's happened? Is their kids took it to another level. Because lying became okay with this godly family their kids will lie big time. And their grandkids. They never dealt with it. You got to deal with these things. Don't let them go. It's quiet in here. But they'll come back. So let's finish it. Verse 23. So the Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to the divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Joshua could give them a land that rested from war, but he could not give them a rest for their souls. 
He couldn't do that. Only Jesus can do that. And the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains to enter his rest, God's rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short. Now this time God says you should, the Bible says you should fear. Fear that you come short of resting. What kind of rest? What is he talking about? Verse 6 says, since therefore it remains that some must enter into it, those of, to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designated a certain day saying, in, uh, in David, today after such a long time as it has been said, today if you will hear my voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, what's he talking about? He's talking about what we just read. If Joshua would have given them rest, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Quick explanation. Battling, battling is not a battle for your eternal destination. You don't battle to be saved. If, if you believe, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and he was buried and he rose from the grave? Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that because of that he paid for your sins and you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? then your destination right now is heaven. Your destination is heaven. You have eternal life because of Christ. He did it all. You don't do it. You rest. You rest. These battles are not for your eternal destination. These battles, some cases, are to defeat the enemy in your life and defeat the enemy for others and expand the kingdom of God. These battles are a complete different thing. It does not, you're not battling for your salvation. If you, never, if you lose every battle, but you have faith in Christ, you're on your, you have, already have de your destination is heaven. And so you can take a, a rest. You can rest. In fact, once you do this, just, just take a deep breath and kind of let it out slowly. Get that rest. Because that's how you're to live your life in that kind of peace. It's the peace and rest of God. I'm not battling for my eternal destination. That's already been paid for in Jesus. But I will battle for you. I will battle for my lo the loved ones. I'll battle for the kingdom. I'll fight for the expansion of the kingdom. I'll fight against the work of darkness that corrupts and, and brings bondage into people's lives. I'll do that. I never have to fight for my salvation. It's already paid for in Jesus. There's a rest for the people of God. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you that, Lord, we can rest in you. And today we do that Lord, we also know that there's times that we need to take up the sword and, and fight on behalf of others. Sometimes we need to fight so that we get victory 
from things that would keep us in bondage and keep us from being fruitful in our life and keep us from, Lord, living out our life in the way that, Lord, would bring um, glory to your name. Sometimes there's battles that have to be won, but, Lord, we want to do it your way. Lord, we confer with you. We don't use the weapons of the enemy. We use your weapons, the weapons of our warfare. They're mighty in God. Thank you, Lord. I pray that your blessing, and for anyone that is here and the voice can hear my voice, that you have not given your life to Jesus, you can rest in Christ. You can say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. I believe you died for me. You were buried and you conquered death. I ask you to cleanse my soul. I choose to follow you from now on, my Lord and Savior. Amen.
Yeah. 